I like that picture on the screen. You'll notice the little boy has the same foot up that his daddy has. There's a lot of, a lot of genetics in little boys and, and their daddies. And then there's a, a lot of learned things uh, that we just copy. Lifestyles are one of the things that uh, kids copy after their parents. You see the title of the sermon, and I'm sure you uh, think, who is that? Who is Hiel the Bethelite? Well, you're going to know who Hiel the Bethelite is. He's one of the little-known characters in the Old Testament, and we'll talk about him a little later. But before we get to Hiel the Bethelite, we need to talk about a little more modern situation. Gordon MacDonald, in his book, Ordering uh, Your Private World, tells the story of a troubled marriage. It was troubled because the man in the house gave all his attention to his career and little attention to his family. He had uh, no regard and no room for God. MacDonald, in his book, recounts the story of the family's demise. He said the couple sat across the room from one another in the pastor's office. She was asking him to leave home and he couldn't understand why. He was faithful, he was a good provider, the home was large and located in an upper-class neighborhood, the kids had everything they wanted, but there they were. The family was in ruins. And this was a church-going family. Uh, this was a guy who said he believed in God, but, but his problem was that God was way down the list of his priorities. And so was his family. He owned his own business. He was his own boss. Some of you have been there and know the downside to that. You know that you own the business, but the business also owns you. You have all the responsibility, and you feel it. And so he gave all his time to his business. And so you might be here today walking in his shoes. MacDonald writes, he usually left home before anyone was out of bed in the morning, and he rarely came home until the youngest of the children was back in bed. If he was present at a family meal, he tended to be sullen and preoccupied. The business and the bills consumed every waking hour, and waking hours and working hours became longer and longer. Now, let me say something about men at this point that women don't know. Men feel the weight of family responsibility and they carry it on their shoulders. Me, most of them do. I know not all of them. Some of them should and they don't and they need a good kick in the pants. But they should carry that, but sometimes they carry it too heavy on their shoulders. And the weight gets a little bit more than they can deal with, and it consumes them. And so this guy, if his wife ever challenged him on the time he spent away from home, he exploded. In his mind, just like in your mind and in my mind, he was doing it for her and the kids. And while they had all the stuff that money can buy in the house of their dreams, they no longer had a home work became everything to him. He was driven to succeed. He ignored his family. He ignored his health. He ignored God, and it cost him everything. It cost him his family. It cost him his marriage. 
It even cost him the business he worked so hard to build because it drove him right to his grave. Now, before you elbow your husband mid-sermon, I want to encourage you this morning to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to him because I believe the Holy Spirit will. And you pray for him, and when you pray for him, you're praying for your home. And men, I hope that this morning you will listen to this message because it's a message for us. And I hope you'll hear it in the way God intends for you to do so. The longer you live, the more you realize that life is one gigantic rush to the finish line, wherever that is and whatever it looks like. And most of us don't see it coming until we get there. It's like jumping out of an airplane without a parachute. Uh, you'll be fine for a while. The sun will be shining on your face. Uh, the wind will be whipping through your hair, if you've got any. And you'll have the ride of your life for a little while. And then you'll realize you have an inevitable appointment with the ground. The finish line is out there for every man in this church. All of us are rushing toward an inevitable appointment with God. So, we're going to look at one of the most successful men in the Bible. You say, well, if he was so successful, why have I never heard of him? Well, uh, his legacy is recorded in Scripture. And we're going to look at it this morning, 1 Kings chapter 16. We're going to look at verse 30 and then we're going to move to verse 34 because we i need to let you know the time in which he lived first kings chapter 16 verse 30 ahab the son of omri did evil in the sight of the lord more than all who were before him that tells us who was king verse 34 in his days hiel the bethelite built jericho he laid its foundations with the loss of Abiram, his firstborn. And he set up its gates with the loss of Segub, his youngest son, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Joshua, the son of Nun. That's a simple little couple of verses. Doesn't look like there's that much in it, but there's more in this than meets the eye. First, in the meaning of the names that are there. Second, in the fact that this is the Word of God spoken to a man who ignored the Word of God and the warnings of God, and we'll get to that in just a little bit. But you'll see as we go on. The first observation I want to make about this man, Hiel, is that he lived in a culture that had no regard for God. The prevailing culture of his time had a pace-setter couple uh, whose lives were right out of the lifestyles of the rich and famous. And uh, like a Hollywood couple of today that people look at and maybe like the Kardashians or somebody like that, you know, people that, that shouldn't be noticed but that they are noticed and everybody sees them and wants what they have and wants to look like what they look like, wants their home to be like their home. Every community has a pace setter couple or two and everybody's following along after them. Well, this couple's name was Ahab and Jezebel and they served as king and queen of the land and king and queen of a culture 
that had no regard for God. Last week we talked about the redefinition of what it means to be wicked. Wickedness was no longer wicked in the days of Ahab and Jezebel. The laws of God were set aside in those days to accommodate the whims of men. They called good evil. And evil they called good. It was a wicked time. It was a day and age when men felt like, like they could rebel against God's law and ignore the warning of God's word. And so, uh, because that was the prevailing mood of the culture, that is how Hiel chose to live his life. He admired their success and developed a passion for their lifestyle. Now, that can happen today just as easily as it happened to him in that day. Every community has its pace setters and the rest of the community follows along lockstep like sheep to the slaughter. Mothers break their necks to get the kids to all the activities and the kids have to be there because the rest of the kids are there and dad gets a speeding ticket trying to make it there on time when he gets off work and when they get there they look around at the cars everyone else is driving and the clothes everyone else is wearing and the stage is set for follow the leader, whoever the leader is and wherever the leader might be headed. And so as a result, good men, good fathers fall into the trap of culture. They pursue success and material things for their families and in so doing, they sacrifice their children on the altar of culture. No man is, is willing to stand apart from the crowd and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord and we choose to be in church on Sunday and not at the beach and not at the ball field and not wherever the culture might be. Now, as I told you, sometimes the names in the Bible give us a little more insight into uh, the details of a story and the name Hiel gives us a little bit of insight into the character of this man. His name means God lives. But he lived as though God were dead. He lived as if God's word had no meaning. He lived as if God's warnings held no fear. And he lived as if God's hand had no power to punish. Apparently, Hiel had a religious background. His parents gave him a worthy name and a strong moral upbringing. But the lure of the culture and the pursuit of success swept him off his feet. And that leads me to my second observation about Hiel. Not only did he live in a culture that had no regard for God, he chose to live his own life with no regard for God. Now, most of you listening today have some background in the Bible. At least you know there is one. You may have never read it. But somewhere along the way, you've been exposed to the concept of God. You must have some interest or at least some questions about God or, or you wouldn't be listening. And maybe you're not listening. Maybe your mind is on your business and on your bills, or on your next goal to conquer. And so it was with this man, Hiel. He was a builder. That was his profession. He was a big-time businessman. He had an eye for investments, and he was not afraid to take a risk. And so while he may have had many successful building projects, one became the focus of his attention. It would be his crowning accomplishment. It would be the one that would put his name in all the papers 
one that he could put on his resume, one that would put his name in lights and have his name remembered for all time, and it did. If you want to know how he felt about himself, just look at what he named his kids. He has two sons, Abiram, the Bible tells us their names, and Segub. Now, Hiel's name means God lives, but he named his firstborn son Abiram, which means my father is the exalted one. That means his daddy. Everybody said, you know, Abiram, his father's the exalted one. Hiel, the Bethelite. The youngest son, Segub, his name simply means exalted. My son will follow in my footsteps. Everybody will know that I'm the high exalted one and my sons will be just like me. They'll have a name that will always be remembered. And he was right. Their names are remembered. So he decided to rebuild the great walled city of Jericho. You remember Jericho. It's the first city that was destroyed once the children of Israel entered the promised land. Joshua led the battle of Jericho. But we all know it was God who knocked down the walls. And at the conclusion, this is important because this is the word of God and Hiel should have known the word of God. At the conclusion of that great biblical battle, only one family in Jericho was spared, and that was the family of Rahab the harlot. And as they looked over the smoke and ashes of what had been their home, Joshua made a solemn oath, and it's found in Joshua chapter 6, verse 26, and this is what he said. Cursed, this is the word of God, cursed before the Lord is the man who rises up and builds this city, Jericho. Now, how did he know about this curse? Well, I believe he did. In fact, I believe, you know, some men uh, like adrenaline rushes. They like to do dangerous things, jump out of planes, uh, do things that, you know, that men do because we like the rush, the excitement, the tension that's involved, the challenge, the risk. And so, he was inspired by that. Now let's consider the rest of the story. Jericho had never been rebuilt since its destruction. Its ruins stood as a testimony to God's great power and, as a and also as a testimony of God's people's confidence in the power of his word. Nobody ever dared rebuild Jericho because of the curse until Hiel. Uh, Hiel chose to disregard the word of God. His name means God lives, but he chose to live as though God were dead, as though the word of God had no power, as though its promises were empty and its threats were idle. The Bible says heaven and earth will pass away. This is of God's word, but my word will never pass away. Those who live in disregard of God's word are on a collision course with judgment. I wonder how many men here today are living with no regard for God. You know what God's word says about failing to trust Jesus as your Savior, but you've never trusted him. You know what God's word says about the judgment to come, but you're not at all concerned with the judgment to come. You don't see what's rushing towards you like the ground rushing toward, or a person rushing toward the ground that has no parachute. The sun is on your face. The wind is in your hair. You're having the time of your life. 
but you have an inevitable appointment, all of us do, with the judgment of God. Now take a closer look at Hale's building project. He wanted to put his name on the record books. He did, but he did that the wrong way. Number three, he received a wake-up call right out of the Word of God. You know, sometimes God does that. Something happens, it slaps us in the face, God gets our attention one time. So we take another look at Joshua chapter 6, verse 26. I'll read the whole verse to you. Cursed before the Lord is the man who rises up and builds this city, Jericho. With the loss of his firstborn son, he shall lay its foundation. And with the loss of his youngest son, he shall set up its gates. There's the warning from the Word of God, a warning that Hiel had ignored now, did he know about this curse? He knew about that curse just as surely as you know about hell. Just as surely as you know about judgment. Yes, he knew. His name meant God lives, but he lived and he worked and he planned as though God was dead. He knew what he could lose uh, if he led an effort to rebuild Jericho, but he was so blinded by ambition, so hungry for success, that he would pay any price to achieve his goal. He knew what the Word of God said, but he chose to live in disregard of God and in disregard of the warnings of his word. But the warning of God was there. And the warnings of God are still there for us today. Did you know the Bible says one of those great Old Testament warnings? You know, the Old Testament's a mean book. I know you wish you could do away with it. And in the Old Testament it says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. That's not in the Old Testament. That's in the New Testament. That's in the book of Galatians, written to the church. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth that shall he also reap i want to tell you what that ought to cause us to tremble it's that old proverb what goes around comes around right there in the word of god god himself has said in isaiah 55 verses 10 and 11 for as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So my word, which goes forth from my mouth, it will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. So as we read those few little verses in Scripture, connecting it with the warning God gave through Joshua Earlier, we see that the Word of God came to fruition in Hiel's life. Though he ignored it, though he chose to live in disregard of God's Word, though he chose to follow uh, his uh, contemporary role models, he got this wake-up call from God. 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 34, Hiel the Bethelite built Jericho. And just like God said, he laid its foundations with the loss of Abiram, his firstborn. 
I want to ask you a question. <clears throat> How did that happen? Was it an accident that happened at the work site? Or did Abiram just, did he just come down with a fever shortly after the project began? Did that fever linger and worsen as they began to work on the foundation? Would he not have died if Hiel had abandoned his work and repented? Those questions will have to remain unanswered, won't they? Abiram did die, and it was a warning from God for Hiel. He could have abandoned the project. He should have. He should have destroyed the foundation, but he didn't. You know what he did? He did just like some of us have done. He went to his boy's funeral. He left his wife and his little boy at home. And he went right back to work. Because that's what men do. We just go back and keep doing the th same things. And so he continued to disregard the word of God. And he continued to live in disregard of the warnings of God. I want to ask you a question. What warning has God sent you recently? What was like a poke in your ribs, but not from your wife, but from God? It scared you. It got your attention for a little while. And then you put your feet right back in the same steps you were walking in. There are men listening today who've been so bent on success, so blinded by your own ambition, so lockstep in the path that you're in that you fail to see the withering of your own personality. How many warnings will God have to send before you sit up and take notice and change your ways and adjust your life to Him? Well, consider the price Hiel paid for ignoring God finally. Verse 34, 1 Kings 16. In his days, that's in the days of Ahab and Jezebel, that pace-setter couple. Hiel the Bethelite built Jericho. He laid its foundations with the loss of Abiram, his firstborn, and set up its gates with the loss of his youngest son, Segub. I wonder when that daddy was walking down the road and that little boy was picking his foot up like daddy picked his foot up, when that little boy spit like his daddy spit. You know how little boys do. I wonder if he thought, I'm not living the way God wants me to live. I'm headed in a direction. I've lost one son. The Bible says I'm going to lose another. Am I going to keep on living this way? You know, we have a way of just shutting God out, don't we? We have a way of saying, that'll never happen to me. That will never fall on me. That will never come to my family until one day it does. Some have suggested, by the way, you study this passage, some people who know a little bit about the Bible suggest that Hiel may have had other sons and that they too may have died along the way one after another as the work progressed, each one dying as a warning a wake-up call that he was on a collision course with the judgment of God. But Hiel had a goal. He had a dream. And he would pay any price to get there. I want to ask you a question. What dream are you chasing while ignoring God? What pace-setter couple 
cultural pace setter couple are you following while ignoring God? What vision of success drives you forward while you ignore God? And last question, what do you have to lose? What do you have to lose? Everything. 